Welcome to Always Authors, the literary podcast that features two authors and candid conversation. On this episode, we're excited to bring you Alex Hay, whose debut novel, The Housekeepers, will be released July 4th. Alex talks to Sarah Penner, the best-selling author of The Lost Apothecary, whose latest novel, The London Seance Society, became a New York Times instant bestseller when it was released in March. Join these two friends as they discuss their love of writing historical fiction, provide tips for aspiring writers, and give us a sneak peek into their next book ideas. Inspiration starts now. All right. Hello, Alex. Sarah, hello. I am so pleased to be reunited in audio form. How exciting. I know. So we, we've only met the one time uh, when we were in Seattle. And that was what, two months ago? Oh my gosh, it feels like time is flying. But yes, you are right. We were in Seattle. And we were at the very wonderful Winter Institute for the American Booksellers Association, my first time there. And for everybody listening, I can tell you, if you are a new author, going to your first big book event, there is no one kinder to talk to than Sarah Penner. And no one who can more quickly show you the way to go, make sure you've got a drink before you start all the fun uh, enterprises. So thank you for that. You were a a friendly face um, for a debut person. (laughs) It was so delightful hearing you talk. I kind of felt bad for you because I know that the jet lag was surely catching up with you, but you you hung in there and, and I was very impressed. Oh, you're very kind. Yeah, I think I was faintly delirious. I was on London time um, while we were having our lovely dinner in Seattle, but we made it through, didn't we? We had a great evening, so it was fun times. So you were there to promote The Housekeepers, which is your debut novel, and I was fortunate enough to be given an early copy of it because we're with different publishing imprints, but they roll up kind of to the same parent company and um, our editors know each other. So for those listeners who are just now learning about you and the housekeepers, what is your debut about? Well, thank you very much for the opportunity to pitch. I appreciate it. Um, So the housekeepers is a historical heist and it's set in London in the summer of 1905. And it tells the story of Mrs. King, who is the charismatic housekeeper to one of Mayfair's grandest mansions, who, on being unfairly dismissed from her post after many years of loyal service, decides that she is going to enact her revenge by pulling off the most audacious robbery that high society has ever seen. So in a nutshell, it is big hats, big houses, bad men, brilliant women. And if you think upstairs downstairs meets Ocean's Eleven, then you're halfway there. I was just going to say that when I uh, endorsed it and sent that over to your editor, I think I said Ocean's Eleven meets Downton Abbey. How do you feel when people use those two pop culture references about your book? I love it so much. And I mean, first of all, thank you so much for that kind endorsement and for everybody listening. Um, It is such a boost when you first are looking to send a book out into the world to get those kind words and support from readers. And it was um, a really lovely moment when my editor emailed me to say, 
Sarah Penner's agreed to read. And then, of course, we were on tenterhooks to see if Sarah Penner would like the book. Um, but your kind endorsement was just a huge boost from the outset. So thank you for that. And no, that comparison thrills me. I mean, I adore a heist. I'd been sort of dying to get into the engineering of that plot structure um, and gluing that to uh, the opulent, high Edwardian setting of London in 1905 was everything I was going for. So your comparison was was spot on. Thank you. Wonderful. Yeah, to that point, I mean, I remember being an early debut and no nobody knew my name and having to go out and hope that someone would blurb my books. It, it truly feels like an exercise in paying it forward when you're at that, uh, when you're, when you're blurbing debuts, because, um, you know, you just are relying on the goodness of other authors. But I think, you know, all I've done to you for, for you, Alex, is show you some of the generosity that has been given to me in the past. Um, and it wasn't long ago that I was in your exact same shoes and just kind of crossing my fingers. Like, I hope somebody will read this book and give me a quote that I could, you know, we can put on the back of it. So, and you will be doing that for people down the road. So it's, it's just one of those amazing karmic things that um, this industry, everyone is so generous and willing to help. Well, it's magic. And thank you for paying it forward. And so thinking about the timeline of this then for you, Sarah, that process for you, when you were sort of between getting your deal and publication, that must be a few years ago now. What what year is what year are we talking there? Yeah. So I signed with my agent in June 2019, almost exactly four years ago. And my uh, my debut, The Lost Apothecary, came out two years ago in March 2021. Um so it's kind of funny, like in many ways it feels like so much has changed and so much time has passed, but I can remember so distinctly going into my day job. I mean, the kind of putting the cart before the horse here, but I I've been writing full time since 2021, which was when the lost apothecary came out and when I sold my second book. But prior to that, I worked in finance and I can still remember going in to these over air conditioned corporate office buildings and sitting in my cubicle. And um, although I, I apologize to anybody who's listening that that is still what they're doing, but I feel like I've seen the taste of freedom now to work for myself and, and write uh, and have a really flexible schedule. Um, but so much has changed since then. And I, I just am constantly pitching myself, pinching myself and so thankful for this opportunity. It's so nice to hear you say that because actually I have to tell you, um, gosh, it must have been a couple of years ago, uh, just as The Lost Apothecary was coming out, reading an interview with you where you were talking about that process of chasing the dream. Um, and I have to say, you are very much a writer after my own heart who gets up early, does the writing before work, is in that creative space and then logs on to the day job. And actually I sort of, felt a sense of such affinity with somebody else who just knows how hard that can be and how um, much of a sacrifice it can feel because you do give up your mornings or your evenings. Right. You, you, you know, you adjust your routine so enormously. And I suppose at that early stage, I mean, I don't know about you, but when I, when I 
was writing years ago, long before I, before I had an agent, books that are happily in a drawer, digital or otherwise, you know, you do wonder, is it worth it? Is this ever going to pay off? Am I ever going to have a weekend again? Basically. Right. So I'm, I know you must have felt the same at moments. Yeah. So, so do you, um, do you have kind of a, a second different job as well? Like, are you still kind of pulling those early mornings or late nights um, when it comes to prioritizing your writing? I do. So I work in the charity sector. Um, uh, I took a few months off last year um, and took some time to work on the edits for the housekeepers, which was an amazing experience, super intensive, really fast, really energizing. Um, and actually I was quite thankful that I was able just to take a little window of time to do that full time. And I went back to work in a new role in January and have sort of readjusted to the writing around the margins of the working day. And I suppose, you know, there's definite upsides in that when I was writing full time for that very brief period, you know, the self-motivation that is required to make the most of a full day is actually a bit daunting at first because you think, oh my God, I've got, you know, all these hours. I can start when I want. I can finish when I want. I'm going to write 10 books this year. It's going to be absolutely fantastic. And of course it doesn't work that way. You have to find a different routine that's self-directed. And in some ways, um, writing around a job again is, I think, helpful just to really make the most of that time. That being said, of course, if I was being totally candid, it would be dreamy to write full time all the time. So, you know, it's it's been interesting to have that little taste. How have you found that transition, Sarah? Has it been yeah. a journey? I was just going to say, like, uh, hopefully, fingers crossed, you know, I'm not far ahead of you in this kind of writing full time dreaminess. Um, but I will also say it, it's not quite as romantic as I think uh, we tend to think it might be before we're in it. You know, I've been dealing with, I don't know if it's a focus problem or what, but I am just so easily distracted. And I've got a deadline uh, because my my next book is due at the end of this year, and I am really needing to buckle down and find how to get some good hours in because um, I I just I, I let myself start doing laundry or you know play on my phone. The cell phones, as useful and helpful as they are, are the bane of a writer's existence. I think um, so. I try to put it in the other room if I if I can do that, but. You know, you've just got to draw up that uh, that discipline and the, the ticking clock does help a lot. And thankfully, I don't know how your um, editor and agent have been, but mine have never applied pressure when it comes to deadlines. I know some other authors, they say like uh, as it gets closer, their editor is checking in, like how's it going? Are we still on track? I never get those kind of messages, which I'm glad for because I think I apply kind of enough pressure to myself. Yeah, same. Well, let's ask my agent and see what she thinks. I think she knows that I'm uh, working hard and slash slightly mad. So we'll be, you know, trying to do as much as humanly possible. Um, and I suppose when you're at this stage, I heard um, the author Will Dean say once that actually getting published feels like the holy grail, but staying published is a whole other ballgame. Wow. And that resonated with me, with me enormously because 
you know, it's not lost on me that you can only be a debut author once. It's a sort of special moment. You want to maximise it and make the most of it. You want to enjoy it and try and sort of not let it all pass you by. But the truth is, I suppose, the goalposts move immediately. There's a new goal, which is, you know, can I get another contract and can I can I stay in this delicious game? So I think for me, it was very much about just trying to crack on with book two immediately. And interestingly, actually, honestly, I, um, I'd finished my final round of, I think, copy edits on The Housekeepers and we put it to bed on Friday evening. My wonderful editor was, I think, going off on holiday and I dread to think how late she started her holiday that evening, just sending everything off to the printers. So it could be, well, typeset actually for the proofs. Um, and I started really working on book two in earnest the following Monday morning. And actually, I kind of just wish I'd taken even a few days off. Oh my because... God, I can't believe you just immediately went to the next book. But it was like fear, I think. It was fear that I would sort of lose the momentum, the time would run away from me, the opportunity would sort of somehow, I don't know, dissolve. And it was a bit short-sighted, actually, because I think I could have really done with a few days to read and chill out and just top up the well and then go again. But it's an interesting impulse, isn't it, that you, you feel this sort of sense of drive and ambition, which I am sure I can tell from you, you feel you know, keenly yeah. as well. So um, is your second book historical? And whether yes or no, what kind of draws you to writing historical fiction? Great question. So my second book is set in the same world as The Housekeepers, but stars a fresh cast. Um, so we find ourselves a couple of years earlier at the very end of the 19th century, so late 1890s. What draws me to the world? I mean, for me, I just adore the opulence and high glamour of that gilded age, the 1890s, early 1900s. Um, it's a gift to a writer because the, the textural detail of it is just sumptuous and wonderful. But also, for me, that turn of the century moment is fascinating because you get these amazing flashes of modernity as well. You've got early film footage, incredible street photography. You see people moving, running, living. Um, and that sense of pace and momentum is um, really attractive to me because you have an old world with all the period detail that I so love that's lost to us now but you have this sense of an enterprising, forward-looking time um, that I think lends itself to plots that have some movement and pace to them too. So that's the sort of um, love of that period. And I think I will stay there for a while. Yeah, I feel there's enough characters gonna, to play with. That was going to be my next question was, you know, two, three, four books from now, do you still see yourself writing in the historical space? I hope so. I mean... I would love to think that there is many a heist, many a con, many a dastardly scheme uh, to, to play with in that world and some uh, sparky and enterprising and charismatic characters who can who can drive those plots. So we shall see. But but listen, tell me about you. You must be deep into book three. Your deadline must be coming up in the not too distant future. How is it going? How are you feeling? Yeah, so um, 
you know, my first two books, they were set in London. They're both historical fiction. And The Lost Apothecary, my debut, it's dual timeline. So there's also a present day element that does not exist in my second book, The London Seance Society. That all takes place in Victorian London. But third, my third book, um, you know, I really wanted to strategize what this book was going to be about, where it was going to take place, and when it was going to be set. Because I feel like, and, and maybe this is like a little pointer for when you're kind of on your book three idea. I feel like your first two books, they can be similarly themed uh, and readers still will be, you know, open to the idea that you might do something different someday. But if you write a third book in the same vein, that's going to be pretty much establishing your brand. And so I, I thought very carefully, like, what kind of brand do I want for my author career? And I decided if I write a third book set in the really atmospheric, eerie back alleyways of London, beautiful as they are, that's what readers are going to come to expect from me. So I decided I'm going to not do that. I'm going to take book three to the Amalfi Coast in Italy, and I'm going to write this really kind of um, chilling story that takes place on the coastline and features a coven of witches in the 1800s and shipwrecks and a scuba diver present day who is, she's a marine archaeologist. She's diving some of these shipwrecks and finds something mysterious. So I'm, I'm going a couple of different angles with this book, one of which is location. Um, but also the, the whole book takes place on or near the water. And so there are a lot of metaphors uh, that I've been able to weave into the book. Um, and I, I'm so entranced by the ocean. I mean, I live in Florida, so I see the water literally every single day. And I've always been so fascinated by how terrifying the sea can be. Um, I mean, these storms that pop up, you do not want to be on a boat beneath that on the water. Um, and yet the oceans are how we get from, from place to place and how, uh, you know, historically how countries sort of spread their imperial reign as, as they would sail and claim the territory. So it's like a, it, the sea can be so beneficial, but it can also be so malevolent. And um, I'm loving exploring that. On the kind of historical side of things, I I feel like I, I've pretty well branded myself as a writer who will um, stay in the historical space. I think that because history is no longer here and now, there's something kind of enchanting and fantastical about it. Like it feels like a fantasy world, even though we do have pictures and records of what it was really like. And that's part of why I'm drawn to writing historical fiction is because we can invent, reinvent it a little bit. Like we can take uh, pillars of what we know, you know, we know this country was run by this monarch and this is the, the way that people got around. And this was the common type of job for someone in that era. But within that structure, we can sort of play with what was real and what was not. And that's really fun for me. Um, and I look forward to continuing to write in the historical fiction space. First of all, I am thrilled to hear that we're going to meet a coven of witches on the Amalfi Coast. I mean, I cannot think of anything more delicious in my life. So I cannot wait to see what you do with that story and how 
lucky for your readers that you're going to take us on a journey and perhaps confound our expectations. I think it's so interesting, that word brand. And I think what you've touched on there is something really lovely, which I suppose I am pondering as well, maybe a couple of steps back along the journey, which is what's the sort of promise that you offer to a reader? Because when I think about the readers I most adore, who are those auto-buy, as soon as they've got something coming out, I will be pre-ordering. They have such a strong promise. I know what I'm going to be getting. And that doesn't mean that the plot or the setting or the characters are the same every time. It's just something about their view of the world. And I suppose their, their core story chimes with me. And actually, I think it's really quite lovely to think about what that is for you and, and, and how that can then play out in myriad settings timelines structures etc so that's that's thrilling i'm thrilled to see how how book three yeah. shapes up and um you know one thing that you might find helpful alex and really any listeners who are kind of venturing into an endeavor it doesn't even have to be books or writing but the word brand i think part of why i lean toward that is because i did come from the corporate world where we had a lot of calls around marketing um and things like that. But I, uh, I made a list that I have on my desktop, which is what I'm looking at right now, where I, there's just five elements and I've titled it, my brand as an author. Um, one of them is feminist. So I will feature strong, rebellious, interesting female characters who are often working against powerful men. Another element is speculative. So magical realism, paranormal, occult, witches, what have you. Um, and then atmosphere. I think that that's one of the things that readers consistently tell me they like about my books is the atmosphere. So I kind of try to think of it cinematically and like imagine that I've got a camera and I'm, uh, you know, or how would Hollywood sort of turn this into something? So providing enough rich atmospheric detail um, to assist that. Also twists. I love writing twists and cliffhangers. Uh, that's like my favorite thing to write. My favorite scenes are where there's a switched identity or, um, and that was one of the things that was so fun to read about your book and, and twists often lend themselves to quick pacing as well. Um, so that's fun. And then the last piece is just my premise, uh, the premise of my books, um, try to keep them high concept, high stakes, and fresh and original hooks. And so when I was coming up with my third book, um, those were the five kind of elements that I decided to think really hard on as my brand before I got started on my pitch. I love that. And of course, that is a Sarah Penner book. You're absolutely right. And how intentional that is. Um, really appeals to me. And I wonder then, so when you're, if I may dig into this, because I'm fascinated, when you're looking at those five words on your screen, and then you're starting to build your book, I mean, talk me through your your sort of steps. Are you a, are you a mega planner? Or do you dive straight in or something in between? How does it all come together for you? I mean, for me personally, I kind of start uh, start high level with like the big pillars and work my way into the specifics as I'm coming out with, up with my outline. So for instance, the first uh, element of my brand that I shared was 
feminist, kind of having these feminist elements. So I immediately know from the very get-go, my main character and maybe some of the secondary characters need to be really badass women who are the experts in their fields. And all three of my books, that's what we find. So I kind of like start with that. And then I just asked myself, you know, with book two, where, what city do I want to to write in again? And I wasn't done with London. You know, I'd only written one book set in London. So I, I wanted to go back. So I, I knew I had London. And then I, I kind of like did some soul searching and asked myself, what's a book I've always wanted to write? I've always wanted to write a ghost story. So suddenly I've got, all right, strong women, London ghosts. If you've got London and ghosts, you have to look at the Victorian era because they were obsessed with the paranormal and then I wanted um, this kind of world famous medium who is really well known for her skill in the art of seance. So I just kind of like start to take it and then just um, kind of go like try to combine what I want my brand to be with also like what my personal interests are um, and what I've kind of always wanted to write and then just get more specific as I go layer by layer. I love that. So it's a combination of really organic, but also really intentional. And I think that's interesting because when I was writing The Housekeepers, I mean, this is a heist, right? So I have to be absolutely clear on what room is everybody in? What's in that room? What are they stealing? How quickly is it going to be done? When is everything going to be finished? What are all the obstacles along the way? And on that basis, I mean, I planned this book to within an inch of its life. And you have never seen a spreadsheet like it. It was just very, very detailed, let me say that. And the interesting outcome of that was that the first draft was actually quite quick because effectively I sort of wrote it up. The whole story changed enormously in the rewrite. So I sort of excised characters, glued other characters together, took out storylines, added new ones. And that was even before getting an agent, then did some swift edits with my agent and then went into the true editing process with my editors, both in the UK and in, in North America. And again, everything changed. And the result of all of that was that actually, when I began writing book two, I thought, well, I know what works. I need to get my spreadsheet out. And I started plotting. And I launched into the first chapter. And it was just cold. It was sort of dead on the page. And I don't know what had shifted, but something just wasn't translating in the process. And to be honest, that was that Monday morning I was talking about, where I just thought, oh, God, I don't think I can do this again. And I sort of plugged away for a month or so, got about, I don't know, 10, 20,000 words. And still it just felt sort of incoherent and chaotic. And I thought this is not right. So I started over and ended replotting and then trying again. And interestingly, I then had to sort of throw the plan out the window and do what I have never in my life done before, which was just become a true blue panzer and just go back to page one and just go, page by page, turn by turn, and see how things would evolve and, and sort of unpeel. And interestingly, I think I ended up in a place that perhaps was closer to that organic melding of different things I wanted to do and knew I should do, to your point earlier. But perhaps it was about confidence and just getting to a place where I was willing to sort of try and unfurl and unfold a story and could put the spreadsheet to one side. But I'm, I'm just so interested in people's process at the moment because I have, I did not expect that mine would shift so much basically overnight. So it'd be fascinating to hear how yours sort of 
evolves as you go through book three because each book is its own challenge right exactly i mean stephen king even has a quote in his memoir um which is titled on writing that there's no way to write a book there's only the way to write the book that you're writing right now mm -hmm. and i love that um because with the lost apothecary i had no book deal i had no deadline and i I was a pantser, you know, flew by the seat of my pants. I, I just went for it. But then with the London Seance Society, I had a book deal and a contract with a date. They gave me 10 months. Uh, I needed a, actually about an 11 months. But so for that, to make that happen, I needed to pull together an outline because I also wanted to clear my outline past my editor so that I didn't get to the end of the 10 months and realize they don't like anything I've just written. So uh, I outlined that. It was about a three-page outline. And then with this third book, I have an 11-page single-spaced outline that I've been working from. So my outlining has gotten more intensive, but um, I, I can't say that I will do one thing or another for book four. Like I will, when book four is ready to be written, I will sit down and kind of figure out, all right, what's the best approach? And I think like kind of what you're saying and, and what I'm saying too is like there's so much pressure on new writers especially to like follow these rules or follow the best advice or the advice from the most successful authors in the business. But just like you said a few minutes ago, you tried to do this spreadsheet thing that even had worked from you and the words were dead on the page. So you had to just get rid of your 10,000 words and start over. And that's exactly what you should have done. Like if it's not working, you just, you need to nix it and, and try a different path to the story. And I think so long as you keep that front of mind, you're in a good spot. Um, and I always kind of chuckle when like audiences ask me what my process is because every book I've done has been a little bit different. I do think that outlining saves time. I will, I, I will say that, um, but it can also be restrictive and you may end up getting rid of words that you have to re rewrite. And in that case, you didn't save time. You're redoing work. So just like Stephen King says, every book is its own beast. Well, there's a lot to be said for efficiency. So I, I, I may yet revert to my synopsis we shall see um and interesting actually that you mentioned audiences asking you that question about process because i have to ask you about audiences i mean you are a few fantastic steps slash leaps ahead along this this magical journey you've had the experience now of having two books out in the world i'm just wondering what was it like for you first realizing that readers were reading your work and how has that relationship or sense of that relationship evolved over the past couple of years? Well, I, I think with every new story and I, you know, I'm only, I've only got two here to, I would love to hear like more prolific authors and how they feel. But, um, I remember distinctly, you know, even after the success of the lost apothecary, after coming out with the Lennon Seance Society, I was so nervous when I learned that people were requesting it on NetGalley and getting approved for their requests because it meant that at that very moment, someone could have a Kindle in their lap and be reading the scene that I just finished like 30 days earlier. So um, it was really nerve wracking. Uh, but 
I think, you know, you eventually get used to it. Um, and you're just kind of like, well, it's out. I, there's a, there's a lot of just acceptance, I think in this job, um, particularly, you know, trying to steer clear of the reviews. And if you inadvertently see them, you just kind of have to accept that some of them might not be great. So, um, what about you? Like when your debut first came out, how did it feel knowing that people were finally reading it? Such a good question. I think I, I think my feel about it has evolved a little bit over the last few months. At first, I read every single review on Goodreads, and they didn't really affect me at all. Maybe I was numb. Maybe it was shock. I don't know. But it was fascinating to me to see people, and I don't know if you found this, there's a sort of camp of people who get it, a camp of people who don't, and then this very special group somewhere in the middle who say exactly everything you could hope they would, that the resonance they feel for the characters and the story and the plot and the setting was just what they were looking for. And that was surprisingly special. Of course, you, you would think it was obvious that that's exactly what you're aiming for. But I think I had sort of underestimated how magic that feeling is, that someone really, really gets it. And I have to say that sort of... Um, solves the problem of, of reading reviews from people who feel the other way around, which is fine too. So I think that that sense of slowly finding person by person, individual people who get what you're up to was was remarkable. So yeah, that's been that's been special. But I think there came a certain point when actually I didn't need to read any more reviews because I'd seen the full gamut. I'd seen all the stars, let's put it that way. And I think once you've seen that, spectrum you you don't need to then go check for any more because at that point then what are you looking for just sort of an average rating which is going to shift and fluctuate so you know I sort of moved on and hopefully I, I will stay in that space because it feels it feels sort of healthy and you know nice for now I think that's really sage advice and shows that you've grown a lot because I think I asked you a similar question a couple of months in Seattle um and your answer has evolved. Oh, has uh, it? Oh gosh, what did I say? I probably was right in the thick of it. I then, just actually. remember yeah. you were you were. I think you were a little discouraged, um, mm. as we all so often are. I also was somewhat discouraged. It is a very scary thing when the book is getting some of those early reviews, and you know they say like you have to hear uh, for every one negative review, you have to hear ten positive ones to kind of net out. Um, but I, I think that's great that you are finding that you have your people who get it. And those are the people you need to focus on. I struggled with this myself when I was on this tour about six weeks ago. Um, it was right when a lot of early reviews on the London Seance Society were coming out. And I have no reservations about sharing that this book has been uh, <laughs> rated a lot lower on Goodreads than The Lost Apothecary. Now, I think part of that is a lot of people were hoping for like The Lost Apothecary version two, and this book mm -hmm. is not that. Um, but I, I, I remember a couple of times just over hyper focusing on the bad reviews to the point that it does start to affect your self-esteem a little bit. And I remember some of these, I would, I would come across right before I would go to an event where I needed to get up and be cheerful and speak to a crowd with enthusiasm and excitement. And 
sometimes uh, I would feel like I was cheating my audience out of my authentic, excited self because of what a reader's review had just made me feel. And I realized how unfair that was to the people who are there to support me and come hear about my book and many of whom had read it and did love it. So um, I think that this selective attention is an important thing as both of us continue forward in our career and just focus on those people who do show up for you and they are your fans because they're out there. Um, we just have to get rid of all the noise and, and figure out where to put our attention. Well, I think your candor about that experience is so important. And I think, you know, authors need to hear it. And I'm sure I'm speaking for many um, when I say it's really nice to hear you say that and, and be honest about that experience. And I think it's interesting, isn't it, in sort of the event space, um, you and I have worked in a corporate environment, and I suppose we know how to turn it on when you're talking to clients, when you're presenting, when you're pitching, you're sort of selling someone else's product. But the big lesson I suppose I've learned is that this experience of talking about a story that you have written is a totally different peeling back of all your layers, exposing yourself, talking to people about why you think, feel and put words on the page the way you do. And you do have to come at that with some honesty um, that that requires bravery and courage too. And clearly that's the way in which you have approached this. And I love your words that that you were looking to make sure you were giving to that audience and, and being you. And I think it, I am sure it comes across to everybody. So well done. Keep up that courageous heart. That's the way to do it. What are... Um... What are like some pieces of advice, Alex? I mean, you're one of the lucky ones. We both are that that got our foot in the door. Uh, I mean, there's so many writers who are excellent writers who really want to be in the position of having being able to walk into a bookstore and see their name on a book. What are like some pieces of advice that you would give to aspiring authors? It's a really good question. And I've heard people give very condensed and tidy answers to this question. And actually, I haven't really pondered it myself. So I will give you my sort of unvarnished off the top of my head reply. For me, I've been writing for as long as I can remember. But I think I became really serious about it in 2015. So I joined a creative writing course in the UK called Curtis Brown Creative, which is run by a fantastic literary agency who are my agents now. And um, that was the first time I'd been on a course with 14 other people who were as ambitious to get published as I was writing across a whole different set of disciplines. I don't think you need to go on a creative writing course. I think there's constraints to do with cost and access to those which are largely being you know, addressed. And that's fantastic. But there are lots of barriers to people and it's expensive to do those courses. But I think what was you know, transformative for me and what I'm so grateful for was the sense of community that came out of it. I think the I think if you can find through any means possible people who share your sense of ambition and you can find that through blogs, through reading online, through just using Google as the great resource it is to read as much as possible with authors who are either really far along their journey or are starting their journey, just to soak up details about why they write, what they write and how they sort of evolved perhaps their pitches their synopses, 
the positioning of their books when they were seeking agent representation because i do think there's a great deal out there um so i think just finding that community of like-minded people whether it's online through research whether it's through a course through joining a writing group and then being super super selective about what you listen to and what you take in is is key and i think the final thing i would just say is you know just set the goal that's right for you i'm quite a goal-oriented person so sort of audacious um aim i set myself back in 2015 was if I really want to be a book a year author in the future, then I need to start writing a book a year now, whether I'm agented or not. And so I said to myself, I'll write a book a year until I have an agent. And naively, Sarah, to be honest with you, I was like, oh, it's fine. I'll have one at the end of the year. And surprise, surprise, I did not. And that first book and the second book and the third book all went into drawers. Um, two of them went out on submission. And slowly I started to see more positive responses come back, but neither of them got an agent representation or offer it was only the fourth book that did and i think the lesson that taught me was to sort of stick with it keep going all those good things you always hear but just do give yourself a big audacious goal if you if you feel you can and um, because it it's the motivation that you need sometimes when as we were saying at the beginning of this conversation you know it's an early morning or a late night or you've missed a party or you haven't gone out or it's the bank holiday and actually you're typing all the way through it you do need to have something to strive for. So I would just say to people, just think about what goal feels right for you and, and, and the pace that feels right for you and then go for it. How about you, Sarah? I'm sure you will have a more considered answer that I had. No, I love that. Um, I think setting big goals is important. Um, the one thing that I often tell people is a lot of people romanticize what the author life is like. And they, I think they kind of see on social media, the book tours, the typing away at a coffee shop with the, the latte art in the mug. And um, they think of the flexibility that maybe someone has uh, if they're fortunate enough to kind of write full time. But that's a completely different scenario than the process of writing a scene tearing up those pages, writing it better, tearing up those pages, writing it better, and just doing that again and again until it's the best that it can be, and then doing that for an entire book. So I think it's important that people ask themselves, do they like the idea of writing a book, or do they actually like writing a book? And that's the first thing I think people should figure out, because I think a lot of people, they say, all right, this is my year, uh, New Year's resolution, I'm going to write my book finally, and they write a few pages and they're like, this is terrible. I would rather be doing anything else. So that's my first piece of advice is to make sure you really like the process. If someone is listening and they they know they love to write, they're, they've got a really good disciplined practice um, and they enjoy that revision process, then I think... Uh, for me, you know, looking back at sort of some of the things I was doing in year zero, uh, I was attending writing conferences. Um, I was connecting with other writers, many of whom very strangely, our careers have have followed in parallel, you know, people that got agented the same time as me, they got their book deal the same time as me. Um, and then because of just the timing of the publication process, that often means our books are like coming out within weeks of each other. And these are people that I met when, you know, we all were just like kind of trying to, to write our first manuscript. Um, so definitely connecting with community makes you feel so much alone. And then it's also fun to have those people by your side when you're celebrating the wins and the successes. 
And then I think lastly, just reading in the genre that you write uh, and keep a highlighter or post-it notes close and kind of study the way that those authors make transitions or, um, you know, drip feed backstory into a scene. I feel like one of the curses of being an author is that I don't read the same. I, I, when I read for pleasure, I'm always kind of looking to see like what I think was edited or how they wove in a certain subplot. And, but I, I kind of also benefit from that analysis for my own writing. So I think reading widely um, and then especially in your own genre is really important. And what are you reading now? Tell me what's on the, uh, on the pile. Yeah, I think this will probably actually be a really good question for us both to end on since I, I'm kind of watching the time and I know that we're coming up on it. Um, what am I reading? So I am a huge nerd for maritime nonfiction. So books that take books that are stories about the sea and uh, the ocean and sailors and shipwrecks which I'm sure that you know you are seeing some commonalities given my next project I'm working on. So I'm reading a book called The Wager by David Gran. It came out in the States a few weeks ago. I'm not sure if it's out in the UK um, yet, but it surely will be because it's about Imperial Britain uh, in the 1700s. Um, and they were trying to basically capture some Spanish ships and, and plunder everything on all the, all the goods on them. Uh, but it's a shipwreck. It's about these castaways and the years that they spent trying to survive. I love anything about polar expeditions. Um, and I'm laughing because like, you would just never really guess it. I don't think like, I don't know why I like seafaring stories, but I do. Uh, so I'm reading the wager. I love that. And then, um, I've got a couple of arcs, uh, on, you know, that I'm always kind of reading. Um, both of these actually are also taking place on the ocean. Um, so there's a lot of themes kind of going on for me right now. And then I'm reading Loyalty by Lisa Scottolini. That came out, I think, about a month ago. Um, and it's uh, about the origin of the mafia in Sicily. So I'm thoroughly enjoying that one. And I what? would love to hear what you're reading too, Alex, because I'm always looking for ideas. I love the sound of all of those. Oh my gosh, The Wager sounds fantastic and actually makes me even more excited for your book three. Um, I have just finished a um, fellow debut um, who I think has just been published in the States as we record this, um, which is a fantastic historical mystery called No Life for a Lady by Hannah Dolby. It is so fantastic. It is sharp, funny, fast, it has some of the funniest lines I have read in ages and the most endearing and engaging characters and a really lovely romance at the heart of it as well. So I cannot recommend it more highly. Um, and then I've also um, just started for the very first time reading a Robin Hobb fantasy novel, which I've never tried before. It wasn't really a genre I turned to in the past. And I heard someone talking about her books and picked this up in the library oh my gosh Sarah I cannot tell you immersive addictive I am glued to the page I'm in a fantasy realm of addictive magic and I cannot get enough of it and it's so nice actually just sort of reading something for pure pleasure but you're so right I am noticing 
anything I think has been done exceptionally well and just sort of itching then to get to the page and, 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 and try and learn how it is done. So yeah, some really, really lovely things on the pile. Is fantasy a genre that you've been drawn to in the past? Not really, truth be told. I just thought I would give it a go to try and sort of um, see, because I had just heard so much about Robin Hobb in particular, and I'm just adoring it. It's just great. So yeah, highly recommend. I think, to be honest with you, I'm reading totally out of order. I think there's multiple trilogies and I started bang in the middle. So I'm just following the backstory as best I can and enjoying the ride. It's great. That's awesome. So Alex, for anyone who's listening, if they want to learn more or follow you on social media, where are you and how can people find you? So I am Alex Haybooks on Twitter and Instagram. And my website is alexhaybooks.com. And how about you? So my website is sarahpenner.com. And there's also lots of resources out there for any aspiring writers who are listening. Um, I'm not on Twitter. I deleted my Twitter account a couple of weeks ago. I am very active on Instagram, Sarah Penner author. Uh, it'll come right up for you. And there's lots of pictures of my dog on there. And I, I actually feel like it's probably only about 60% bookish stuff and then 40% just daily life. And then I'm on Facebook, of course, as well. Love it. Amazing. We will follow you there assiduously and and mourn you on Twitter. (laughs) Yes. Well, Alex, this has been so fun. It's been so great to reconnect with you. Sarah, such a treat. Thank you. And thank you for such um, interesting advice. I will take much of it away with me and hopefully the people listening will too. So I wish you the loveliest afternoon and speak soon, I'm sure. Yes. Thank you, Alex. I hope you have a good night. You too. All the best. Thank you for listening. Please visit alwaysauthors.com to learn about our other episodes. Always Authors is an exclusive production of Atomic Focus Entertainment.